Hello, and welcome to the Emotion Lab. We're taking a deep dive into what makes the combination of immersive environments and emotion AI so exciting through interviews with experts across the fields of academia, healthcare, and technology. And I'm your host, Graham Cox. Hello. Today I'm talking to William Hamilton, the founder and CTO of MyMerse, a virtual pharmacy for mental health, building virtual reality experiences that help treat mental conditions such as pain, anxiety, and phobias. In this episode, I've really enjoyed talking to William about his view of combining clinical psychology and his work in XR. Uh, specifically his vision of uh, the use of VR as a Skinner's box for controlling all of the inputs and stimuli that you give an individual to drive an, an outcome and experience. How self-guided uh, VR therapy can enhance and support the delivery of cognitive behavioral therapy uh, in the field remotely and um, in the ther therapist's office. And how William's vision of a virtual future combines with AI-driven personal avatars uh, to deliver enhanced interactions from us as individuals, being the best version of ourselves. Hey, William, good morning. Great to meet you. Hey, hey, thank you. Likewise. So you have this fascinating background in, well, a diverse background uh, from uh, going through clinical psychology through, um, you are the founder of a VR agency that I think focus, uh, focuses on uh, training. Yeah. Uh, and you have subsequently founded MyMerse, uh, which is building mental health um, solutions in yeah, yeah. virtual reality. I'm really interested to understand a little bit more about your background. Can you tell us, you know, a little bit more about where you come from, how that, how, how you got into clinical psychology and how that led you through into the field of XR? Yeah, yeah, that said, like, you didn't even know I was a professional DJ until I was 25, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to let you mention that one. <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah, so it's been a lifelong dream for me to work on uh, improving, basically advancing psychological science. And um, after uh, doing my thing in the music business and um, getting tired of partying and DJing at the age of 25, I went to university and was really determined on um, trying to make myself useful for the researchers there. And I was lucky to study clinical psychology specifically and realized that it was a massive problem with mental health in the world, which is, uh, I mean, thankfully, I've been, uh, was quite ignorant of. And um, inspired by this problem, I tried to figure out how I could best put my time and energy to solving it. And um, yeah, that's the short story, essentially. I mean, I ended up founding um, a VR company and um, spun out. So like, originally, I was working at uh, Stockholm University as a researcher okay. um, and helping out, uh, like coming up with ideas and pitching them to faculty there. And um, this was back in 2013, 14, um, because I uh, found I was always a gamer too. And I found this um, Kickstarter video about the Oculus Rift and everyone in the Kickstarter video was like really excited seeing how like VR is going to be the future of everything, like future of, um, you know, digital home entertainment at least. And um, I realized that like once this future manifests itself, um, the kind of stuff that you can do remotely, automatically, like in the safety of someone's home, uh, it's just going to be like 
um, blown open in comparison to what you can do now. So now you can have, you know, you can show things static on a screen, but like with VR, you can actually uh, no longer basically show things, but but um, really take them to people in terms of yes. many, like as, as far as many levels of the brain uh, are concerned. Absolutely, the the kind of the ultimate simulation environment for uh, and particularly for home use. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I saw it as kind of like a Skinner box, uh, a perfect Skinner box for humans. Which is, uh, I mean, uh, alluding to Bill Skinner, who who um, like uh, grandfather of behaviorism, who um, uh, was obsessed with controlling the environment of test subjects. I mean, his mice, you know, so, so it's uh, this uh, dream of as a psychologist having perfect control over all perceptual input that reaches a human being. I mean, maybe not permanently, but at least in the time frame of an experiment was like super compelling to me. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So did, did your work um, in Stockholm university with, it uh, was with professor Colbring, wasn't it? Who's a, yeah. Yeah. Uh, did did that did that work uh, inform what you wanted to do with Vobling when you set that up, or was that a completely different? Uh, I mean, it was a primer to me. So Vobling is the um, VR AR agency that I founded together with my brother and, and a guy named Patrick Hansel. And um, we, I mean, me and my brother, when we started working on the um, clinical psychology side and experimental side. Uh, of use cases for VR, we discovered like I mean the potential of using it for much much else, and um, we were quite a lot in the media because it was such like the things we were working on, um, you know, were of interest for the press. So then, uh, although um, it, we weren't really you know um, that knowledgeable about, about anything, we. Um, in the eyes of like the public, we were the experts. So then big companies and corporations started reaching out to us and asking, you know, hey, can we like uh, hire you guys to build these different things? Like we know you're excited about this clinical psychology stuff, uh, uh, but you know, we just need an engineer who's good at, at VR. And um, we weren't engineers and we weren't that good at VR, but we uh, tried to uh, become that as soon as possible because we saw <laughs> there was like a big opportunity and back then I was really um, having this um, you know uh, reality distortion of feeling that like in five years I mean basically today yeah. VR would be like everywhere and this would be you know one of the greatest opportunities it would, it would be like starting an internet company in 1995 essentially uh, which maybe it was in many ways i mean uh, so uh maybe we're more right than we were but it's like um i really thought like now we have to do this now it's just it felt like that like on one hand uh, with mimers i was really inspired by the possibilities to do good but with wobbling we were really just uh, fascinated by the business case and also really interested in like defining all of these new things because no one really um, you know took a lot of these concepts and made like apps out of them although we're in no way the first VR AR I mean uh, even like Jaron Lanier who um, coined the term virtual reality had uh, a VR AR consulting company with clients like we <laughs> eventually ended up having like you know, worked on the release of uh, Prozac and, and uh, uh, like back in the 90s and did like music and entertainment stuff and architecture stuff and all of this. So, so it's not, not really a new idea either. But, yeah. Absolutely. 
So, I mean, obviously, virtual reality provides us this incredible opportunity to immerse somebody in uh, an environment where, as you say, we can control all of the inputs that the uh, that an individual is getting, and that has obvious benefits in training uh, and exposure to new environments and uh, and practices. But how how do you see that aiding? Um, mental health at one end of the spectrum and training soft skills at the other. What's the application of VR and how does that work to actually deliver improvements in anxiety, for example, for an individual? Well, I mean, on a very abstract level, um, VR provides the promise of exposing anyone to any situation that could possibly arise in real life. And... um, to be able to create this experience on demand in a kind of safe setting where in real life you can sort of, um, you're really confined by what's physically possible, but in VR you're not really uh, confined by that. So um, you can just conjure up all of these things that traditionally, you know, it's easy to imagine how like you ideally would do different things if you had godlike powers as a psychologist you know um and vr just provides some you know um fulfillment of these powers and grants some godlike powers so instead of having to keep for instance we started working with spiders like instead of having to keep spiders in your practice uh, you know as pets essentially as a psychologist um in order to carry through exposure therapy with spiders now you can just have spiders in a VR headset and uh, you don't really need to harm the spiders either. So uh, it really is like, it's a very big question and I believe like sky is the limit. And I think in the future it's going to be very individual to like, um, you know, it's going to be commonplace to prepare for different things. I mean, even very small, like benign things. I mean, imagine just um, as the simulation of human beings inside of um, game engines, I mean, they're really already getting really, really good and really, real, really, really realistic. And I think we're not that far away from putting on a VR headset and like being able to have sort of a natural conversation with some kind of like automatic AI presence and then um, really be able to practice things that before you know you couldn't you could never practice because it would be like unsafe or impossible or you know a combination of these things. So um, yeah, but we're focused on like I can um, talk about like some of the things that we're interested in maybe. And I'm really excited to ask you about um, my Merce and how you've. Uh, how you've built this company to bring these principles together, your background in clinical psychology and the VR work that you um, started in your previous yeah. company. You describe MyMERS as a, as a virtual pharmacy for mental yeah, health care. Yeah. What, 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 what are your aims with MyMERS? What are you doing now and what is your vision for the future? So the vision for the future is that in, you know, eventually anyone will be able to download really effective um, therapies to VR headsets and self-administer these therapies at home. And some of these therapies will be versions of things that exist on the market now, so to say. And some of these therapies will be brand new ways of working with uh, mental health disorders. And I think as a technology uh, in hindsight, I mean, maybe 50 or 100 years from now, 
um, virtual reality will, like in the history of psychology and the history of clinical psychology, be looked back upon as one of the most important technological paradigms ever to come about. And in clinical psychology, we really are desperate for new um, uses of technology to improve mental health because there really hasn't been that much progress in the last few years. I mean, we have um, spending, uh, um, like big pharma spending on R&D for medical interventions for mental health disorders are, you know, getting less and less every year. And uh, I mean, something needs to change. And I think VR is going to change a lot if we, you know, make it that way. Because I think um, what inspired me is, you know, you, you have to have people that build these things and try to make this technology come to good use, you know? And, uh, yeah, most definitely. So, so, so the vision is simply that like in the future, I mean, if you're experiencing, let's say, um, I'm a climber, right? So uh, I maybe feel um, slight discomfort or some type of situation that I'm going to be facing this weekend. Mm. In the future, I could just simulate the situation and feel much, much more prepared uh, using a VR app. Um, in the same principle, if I had a, uh, let's say phobia, which was really holding me back. I mean, thankfully, you know, you can get better at improving like training skills and a big kind of um, foundational thing about cognitive behavioral therapy is this that you, you know, you, you get to train and, and build um, uh, skills and experience and knowledge to, yes. to lessen anxiety towards all kinds of different situations. So. I'm really interested to know, William. So I, I, over here in the UK, um, there is a real shortage of uh, cognitive behavioral therapists uh, yeah. available through our National Health Service. Yeah. I think Although you guys are really, really good. I mean, in comparison yeah, to yeah, almost no, we, all yeah. other countries. So. We, we, are, we, are, yeah. we are indeed good. But even then, our talking therapies application is, is dwarfed by the... Uh, application of uh, drugs such as antidepressants yeah. to, to, to deal with uh, issues. I think uh, the statistics for um, 2016, whether there were more antidepressants handed out than there are actual people in the country. Uh, and in cognitive behavioral therapy, the demand for um, referrals for to uh, CBT practitioners still outstrips the ability to supply. So I can yeah. see how a platform for mental health treatment that could be operated by an individual in their own time could be could be mm. immensely valuable both to um, people suffering from um, uh, anxiety disorders, etc., but also for the health services themselves that are trying to work out how to deal with this demand and the limited man hours that a that a therapist might have. Do you how how do you see? your platform and the role of therapists going forwards? How do they coexist? And was there a need for therapists to be directly involved in the treatment programs that uh, people will go through using your platform? Yeah, it's a good point. Like, uh, I think one fact is that we're not going to be able to educate enough therapists to um, deal with this global, you know, mental health problem that we're facing, like that humanity is facing. So the grand solution to um, this problem needs to be some kind of scalable technological platform. And I do think that, um, as I said before, I use like uh, the term superpowers. Like I think VR 
uh, will coexist with therapists and has been doing so like since the 90s. And um, therapists and cognitive behavioral psychologists especially are super open to working with this technology because it means that, you know, we're probably going to see a rise of brand new paradigms where you have a psychologist um, you know, controlling very skillfully what's going on inside of different simulations and, and yeah, just, um, you know, what do they say? Like the best chess player is an AI. It's an AI that gets uh, to give input to a human player. Um, so I think it's going to be this case for a long time with this treatment as well. And, and um, yeah, I, I think psychologists should look forward to, you know, um, what, this type of thing is going to bring about. I mean, in the future, like I think telepresence is one of the big use cases for VR. So that's why Facebook is investing so much. Um, like Facebook's vision for this technology is that like you, we're going to be able to have completely natural meetings inside of VR and their platform. And it's going to be, you know, photorealistic essentially, like Star Trek style holodeck quality of human interaction inside of a virtual reality. And I think then um, the concept of like teletherapy uh, and telepsychiatry and telepsychology is, is uh, going to become much, much more viable than it is now because you have so much, uh, you know, um, communication that gets lost over video or yeah. over a phone call that um, VR as a platform um, can, uh, you know, make possible. So, Am I right in saying that you've um, actually recently been doing some work mm. with Professor Kalbring on the, the value of virtual therapists within the environment? Yeah, so like, yeah, I think for sure in the future, there's going to be some type of platform where, um, you know, uh, I sit at home, I put on my headset and in there is the therapist that sits in their office. And then the therapist just has entire control of where we are. I mean, we could be um, in like on a tropical island or we could be inside of something that looks like the therapist's office or, or they could just conjure up, you know, any type of um, stimulus they would need or situation they would need or human they would need. So it would be more like you know, okay, do you have a difficulty with like um, having um, conversations with your partner? Like let's bring a simulated human that looks like your partner into this uh, app and we're all sitting and we could basically just run, like try to rerun or rehearse different things. This is, it really is like uh, going to change so much, but also the change is like quite slow. So I'm saying these things knowing that it's going to take like a long time for, for this to happen. And we have our plan to reach, uh, you know, this ultimate vision, but that's like part of the ultimate vision. And then this becomes true when everyone just has a VR headset, but like when VR headsets or AR headsets or this type of like, spatialized uh, rendering like 3d experiences become as commonplace as smartphones you know it's just going to yeah. be everywhere at some point if things keep going as you're going now fascinating you william you're talking about people practicing soft skills in yeah. interpersonal relationships for example dealing with their partners um yeah. dealing with um, difficult social situations etc and also relating that back to the what the big organizations are looking to do in terms of telepresence what, how, what, where do you, what, how do you see the role of um, emotional recognition and display within um, XR, uh, its, its importance in the future and how that has to be, uh, to be realized? Because obviously, 
uh, one of the problems we have with interacting with avatars in virtual spaces at the, at the moment is that you tend to lack that real human connection with them yeah. because they're, they're not expressive, et cetera. So yeah. you know, talk, talk to me a little bit about how you see that the necessity for that within, uh, within platforms like MyMerse, for example, and generally in the use of XR going forwards. I mean, I think there's two cases. So one would be just um, a use case of measuring and monitoring emotion, emotional states in the user. Um, I think this is super useful. And um, to uh, you know, for developers to uh, be aware of the emotional state of the user. I mean, this can be useful in so many ways. But I think it's also incredibly useful for telepresence. So um, you know, you have a lot of the cues of uh, you know an emotional state needs to be rendered in the 3d environment i mean small things like eye movement or maybe uh, fluctuations in skin color or or uh, you know uh, very very um fine you know shape like you know the way your face moves when you talk or you smile or or all of these things need to be captured and then when they're captured i mean you can you have the possibility of rendering rendering them back to someone else you know so so yeah i see it as something that's extremely important and it's something that um um i believe you know in the future is going to be um it's because it gets quite um interesting and complicated i mean this um will create a lot of like ethical concerns and also a lot of possibilities where like, you know, um, Jeremy Bailenson at Stanford, they already ran trials where you have telepresence, i.e. a app where you sit with someone else inside of VR. And uh, what you're seeing is a three-dimensional avatar replaying a facial capture of that person that you're talking yeah. to. So it's essentially looking them in the face, talking to them. Um, but what they do is they tune um, the way the facial expressions are played back. Um, so you can actually slightly tune your face to be more likable. Um, because, you, you know, it, let's say you don't feel like smiling today. I mean, you could just tune it so like it replays your, all of your um, uh, expression, but it also just makes you smile all the time. Um, and things like this. And, and uh, I think this, uh, again, for like therapists, if you know, a big part of like um, being a likable person is like mirroring someone in a conversation. So, you know, yeah. you have good um, kind of uh, uh, rapport with someone if you like lean back and they lean back as well and like cross their arms to do different things. And I think a lot of this like rapport building body language could be automated. So you could actually like not feel someone at all, but have all of your emotional display look like you actually really, really like them, you know, and this could be a therapeutic tool because it would, um, uh, you know, theoretically, this wouldn't even be that uncanny. You could just be able to tune it. So if you're a therapist and you don't feel like, because it's a hard, tough work to like mirror, I mean, if someone says something horrible, I mean, you're not supposed to, you know, sit and like smile and think about your startup. You're supposed to be like really empathic and this empathy is, a lot of work and if you don't um, apply it you're not going to get this connection but facilitating conversation through this type of system i just explained i mean theoretically you could create this type of empathic connection yeah, it, automatically like it's a bit cool and s still have this conversation so um, that's some of the some of the possibilities that exist you know and, and um, 
I'm a bit like wary about, you know, because imagine all of the possibilities uh, that like the World Wide Web had and imagine what we kind of ended up with. I mean, it's nowhere near uh, what's possible, right? So I think um, it's really important now that people recognize like what's possible and maybe demand, you know, this type of feature or, or you know, really uh, use their imagination, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. So interestingly, and you're, you're talking about um, proceduralizing emotional display so that you can tweak somebody's uh, delivery. Yeah. Um, in MTech, we actually did some work to study whether we could gamify the process of uh, dealing with adult strangers for uh, teenagers with autism, which was quite a, yeah, yeah. a really interesting study in basically gamifying a virtual reality uh, interaction with an avatar and scoring the uh, the individual, give, giving them um, positive feedback through uh, through through the right verbal and non-verbal, so emotional cues in response to the uh, the conversation that the avatar was driving, which is quite an interesting way in bringing up um, emotional responses up to a conscious level for people who are struggling to innately understand those social cues. Uh, and I can certainly see um, the use of. Um, a, a kind of tweaked emotional response in an avatar for uh, for remote uh, contact is a kind of like the extreme version of uh, doing Zoom calls in your pajama trousers. You can basically uh, yeah, you can yeah. be you can be whoever you want to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean we're we're almost at that point now where you could have like um, those machine learning learning paradigms make me look and sound like someone someone else yes. in real time. So yeah, yeah, no, most definitely. Uh, if we take that back to the um, um, the therapy model, yeah. So if we're looking at you know we go on a path to the future from um, today, most um, CBT happens with um, patient and therapist in the same room. Yeah. Using virtual reality, we can uh, you can you can enable the separation of uh, the physical separation of therapist and patient, and and have the therapist oversee uh, or interact remotely. The ultimate end goal of that is that the patient can actually self-manage their therapy in their own time through interactions with the with the virtual environment. Yeah. What, what, how important is objective measurement of response to the therapy in enabling that separation from the the human expert? Um, so, I mean, I guess you guys are like uh, favorable towards one way of answering that question. I do believe that actually subjective measures are extremely effective, effective already in psychology. So it's a common misconception that you actually, like asking someone how good they think something's going uh, actually is quite valid. Like people don't usually lie, but um, being able to correlate this with um, data, you know, backing up these questions or not having even... Um, because answering questions like about your emotional state, I mean, maybe you would rather not. Maybe you would just have rather have these things uh, read automatically by the software, you know, but, um, or for the software to learn. Um, I guess you would have to train it, you know, to recognize automatically what type of reaction you're having to some software. But yeah, it would be super useful. Um, and I mean, uh, for us, it's like as a developer, I mean. <laughs> Ideally, I would always want this as a variable inside of my applications. And it can be for anything from experiencing frustration over UI or, or uh, yes. you know, kind of probing in what ways what 
gamification paradigm to apply to keep them motivated or um, there's a lot of guesswork involved or, or it's, it will help us really um, be more, I think, surgical in terms of, um, you know, treatment progression. Um, it's also a bit hard to generalize because we have many different types of, um, it's like VR has so many, I think it's been researched for over 50 different uh, mental health disorders and a lot of these things are widely different. Yeah. Um, but, you know, being able to measure anxiety, of course, is super useful when you're designing things to help mitigate anxiety because you know then what's working and what's not working. Or Just, So on that specifically, William, do you think it's possible to overstimulate somebody in, with virtual reality simulations? Do you see that as a risk in, in any, any of your work? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a really big risk. So like... For us, um, we really need to pace things extremely slow because we're really, um, since we're not there with the person, and uh, one of the biggest threats we have, of course, is the person removing the headset because they get overwhelmed and then never putting it back on um, and not, you know, failing to get the treatment or, or uh, you know, carry through the program. So we have to then overcompensate by pacing things extremely slow, and this creates, you know, for a lot of users, they have to kind of work themselves through things that isn't like optimally stimulating for them. Or on the other hand, like maybe the stimulation increases too fast for certain individuals. So I think being able to get the get this data point, you can help tailor the treatments much, much more. Um, so, so you can have the pacing. And this is the kind of stuff like your real psychology will do, or real psychologist will do. So like the downside right now, the automatic treatment is it's quite crude. Like it can't really read a human uh, the yeah. same way as a trained clinical psychologist can do. Of so, course. so anything that we can get closer to that would be, would be great. Um, because it is not like, it's not a good thing to overwhelm someone ever in, in um, therapy. You know, so. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely a risk. Yeah. So, so, so William, what, what's your ultimate vision for MyMerse? Where do you see the company uh, developing into? Well, I mean, as I said, like um, the future I have in mind is, you know, anyone, anywhere can download a treatment uh, to treat themselves for a mental health disorder. And the vision for MyMERS is to be the provider of these treatments. So quite simple. And I think, um, you know, as a side, the vision is to be um, something that's completely synonymous with this type of treatment because it's quite unknown right now. So I think the vision for us is to be you know, like um, if someone says, you know, you meditate uh, with a smartphone, they're probably going to be thinking about Headspace. And um, if someone says, oh, I got a like um, VR headset and I'm curious, like I've been using it for um, dealing with a particular type of mental health disorder. I mean, it's just going to be our company that comes up in the mind of these people. Um, I also think that if we uh, don't succeed with this vision, I hope to have made a really big impact on what turns out to be one of the most influential technologies ever for mental health. So um, that's like the two visions, you know. So one is one is like scientific impact, and I I can say uh, I really think about. Um, trying to lay good foundations and make good science and, and uh, you know, not um, 
being careful along the way. So like, yeah, it's a bit of a balance where we have this eagerness of um, progressing and, and releasing new products and, you know, um, uh, getting into more and more places, but we also need, you know, a vision of, of doing this without um, hurting anyone or, or making um, false claims or, or uh, doing a lot of the mistakes that technology in the history of psychiatry has made. I mean, this is uh, the history of psychiatry is quite um, messed up if you read about a lot of the treatments, like, I mean, famously, lobotomy or. Uh, perhaps even a lot of the um, psychopharmacological interventions used today in 50 years, 100 years, people might look back on this and, and view it uh, as something that's not maybe, um, you know, the best, uh, the best yeah, thing. Really. So, I mean, putting it mildly, it's like a very controversial point. And I don't really have that much stake in that, but there's like many interesting. So one of the things that drew me to this, uh, to psychology in the first place, is it's such a difficult, it's like, it's not physics, right? So things like this are to be expected. Like, I mean, we are probably wrong about a lot of things too. So, uh, yeah. Fantastic. That's a, it's a fantastic and very worthy ambition and a, and a, and a fascinating yeah. road that you're walking on. I, yeah. uh, uh, I look forward to hear, hearing more about it going forwards. William, thank you very much. It was absolutely fascinating. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the Emotion Lab, where I've, it's been um, a, a really interesting for me, I hope for the audience as well. If anybody wants to find out more about MyMerse and your work, where should they go? www.mimers.com and it's m-i-m-e-r-s-e.com or they could go to Twitter or Instagram or Facebook and follow us on social media or they could send me an email on william at mimers.com Thank you very much. Hi everyone, thanks for listening to The Emotion Lab. If you've enjoyed it, remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow us across social media to keep up with the latest in Emotion AI. Thanks.